Make this Christmas memorable with Goat Guns. Get the coolest miniature gun models for your collection. From historical classics to modern weapons, we have something for every firearm and hobby enthusiast. Surprise your loved ones with the gift of Goat Guns, the perfect blend of quality and detail. Shop now and spread the joy at GoatGuns.com. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Tish Squillaro about counteracting the negative thought patterns that hinder good decision-making. Tish Squillaro, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thank you for having me. It is a pleasure to be with you today. I'm excited to have a nice conversation. Today, we're going to be exploring this notion of head trash and how we might go about counteracting the negative thought patterns that hinder good decision-making, both in our personal lives as well as within the workplace. As we get started, I wanted to share Tish's bio with everybody. Tish Squillaro is the author of a book series called Head Trash, which deals with the solutions that address the negative thought patterns that hinder good decision-making for both businesses and teams. Tish has actionable ideas for how to address these issues and more. She is also the founder and CEO of Candor. Since 2007, Candor has partnered with organizations around the world from early stage growth companies to global Fortune 500s of various industries ranging from tech to media. Her most recent clients include AT&T, AppNexus, Datarama, uh, Salesforce, Tiva, and IBM. Tish empowers leaders and teams to make the right decision for the health and success of their business. As an award-winning author, smart CEO, Philadelphia Bravo award winner, University of Pennsylvania grad, and a guest speaker on radio, TV webinars, and workshops, Tish is dedicated to delivering action-oriented strategies that drive long-term results. What a wonderful background. It's a pleasure to have you here. Anything else you would like to share with listeners by way of your background before we bunch on it? No, I mean, even hearing it, I laugh. That's a lot. So I'm excited to be here and see if I can put all that good juice to work. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, let's go ahead and start off with your book series, Head Trash. Uh, Tell us a little bit more about that, what it's all about, and then we can start to pull it apart. Well, working with companies, uh, and as you heard from the different client base, they're all sizes, right? So it's not big, not small. It's really where the decision-making process drives success. And you know, most of the challenges with, with decision-making is when our emotions kick in, right? So whenever I was working with a client or helping someone think through a problem, the way they thought about it, which stemmed from how they felt and how their emotions were part of their thinking, really either hurt or helped their decision-making. So with that, I thought, well, how else can I get that knowledge of what are those emotions? Because they're everyday emotions. And how do you manage them before they manage you? And that's the series, Head Trash. It is really taking a look at the types of emotions that sneak up on you because they're every day. Um, So all the emotions come from your decision-making anxieties. There's seven of them. 
So I work on seven motions, always, as I call it, the culprits of all the challenges that someone has. And those seven emotions are control, insecurity, arrogance, paranoia, anger, fear, and guilt. And guilt, we all have a little, right? So every one of these seven, if you think about it, you felt, you know, you have, you know, they get, you know, into your thinking process. But there's ways that we can manage through it where they don't make the decision for us. And so that's really the premise of what Head Trash became. What gets your mind cloudy and filled with junk that you can't make good choices? You make decisions that are not right. You find yourself doing things for others instead of yourself. And you look back and wonder why you did it. And I bet one of these seven emotions are going to be one of those reasons. And so that's the whole series. Yeah. So so better understanding what is driving our decision-making, I, I guess, is really at the core of all of this, right? Uh, and we are all social animals. We're all emotional animals. As much as we might try to pretend like we're totally evidence and data-driven people, uh, we still have these emotions going on in the back of our heads, even when we're unaware of them, that are influencing the way we're going out making decisions. So really, we have to be able to recognize what's happening. We need to be able to name it. We need to be able to then, uh, only once we can name it, are we able then to uh, mitigate the impacts of some of those types of emotions. Those emotions are completely normal. They're human. We all have them. There's nothing wrong with feeling the emotion, but we just don't want that to then feed into really important decisions uh, that uh, ultimately could potentially impact many and harm many if we make poor decisions. Right. And they impact others. And what I try to explain to people, is you, it doesn't only impact you. If it's a work environment, probably your team, your peers, your business. If it's personal, it could be your family, your friends, right? So when we make bad choices, it has consequences that you don't even realize that has such a large span of impact. And you said something, John, which is very true. I don't look for anyone to eliminate any of these emotions. Because what I actually show in how we describe them is there's the healthy version of guilt and fear and control. And then there's the crossing the line to where it becomes head trash. Because, you know, one example for control is having boundaries and protocols and some essence of structure. That's a form of control. That's good. I mean, you don't want to be negligent and, and radical and not always be able to make good choices based on some boundaries. But when the control stifles you to only listen to you and it's very your focus only and you don't allow others to have any input, well, then it's controlling, right? So when you're controlling, now you're losing out because people don't want to be around someone controlling or you may not know everything and you're missing the right answers. So there is an element of healthy and crossing the line to unhealthy for all of these. So let's not eliminate these emotions because that's what makes us human, right? There's a lot of good in some of these emotions. It's just when they take over us that they become a little too strong. That, that's all I want people to know is this radar of has it crossed the line? Is it becoming unhealthy to me? Yeah. So, so how do we go about first acknowledging these emotions and then trying to mitigate the impact that they might have? Sure. I actually created a way to identify. So because we know there's seven of them and we're going to focus on the, the managing of those seven I created something called the Head Trash Index, which is located at headtrash911.com. So just Head Trash, the numbers 911.com. It's a quick survey, 22 questions or so, and they basically ask you elements of which of these seven emotions impact you. 
Instantly, within minutes, you'll get your results back. Those results will numerically score out of the seven, which are the ones that manage you more than you manage. And we have the top two that we always look at. Because those are the ones that you've said over and over again in your answer in the survey. Yeah, these two always get in my way. These two seem to stifle me. These two cause me pain. And I give you a a little bit of an overview of what you can do about it. So even before you read the books, even before we go through any sort of exercises on each one, you first have to figure out where are the seven in my life? How numerically are they actually important to me and causing me challenges? And then we can start to unpack what do we do about it. So if anyone would like to figure out out of the seven, which are control, insecurity, arrogance, paranoia, anger, fear, and guilt, very common. I always joke, I get all seven when I commute from Philly to New York in about a two-hour time span. Which ones actually get the better of you, though? Because not all seven get the better of me. I know there's one or two that I always have to kind of zip up and give myself some space on, you'll figure that out about yourself as well. And then you can actually manage something better when you know what that something is. So it's about identifying first. Yeah, absolutely. Identifying so you know what you're dealing with, and then you can take actions to mitigate it. So that's wonderful that you have lots of great tips uh, to share with readers and with listeners about how to go about doing that. And I would encourage listeners to to check out the website and check out that instrument so you can get a feel for where you're at. And again, the reality is we're all human. We're all emotional beings. Uh, We all have these emotions on a regular basis. This isn't about judging or shaming or anything like that. It's just about acknowledging and recognizing, right? So then we can move forward in a positive way. The reality is all of these emotions, they, they tend to manifest in all walks of life. So we at at home, you know, when we're dealing with a partner, family, friends, uh, we see those things emerge uh, and it can be something as trivial as trying to figure out where you want to go to dinner. Uh, Mm -hmm. I always joke, you know, with my wife, because it's funny. um, I I honestly don't care uh, where we go to eat. I kind of have my favorites, but I just don't really care. And she is a bit more picky, but she hates making that decision. And so she would absolutely prefer that I just choose, uh, even if it's something she doesn't like, because she get she has these emotions come up and stress around trying to choose. Um, that's fine. Like she acknowledges that she recognizes it in herself. <laughs> She's made the decision uh, that that's what is best for her, and she still chooses sometimes if she's really feeling it, you know, she wants to go eat something in particular. But a lot of times she just asks me to because she knows I don't care, and because uh, because that way it's off her plate and she doesn't have to worry about it. That's a super simple, it's a super silly example, but we, we, sometimes it's the most silly, um, simple little decisions that have to be made that really can be difficult for people. And then you amp that all the way up to the really complex decisions that are made within organizations where we're impacting sometimes, you know, people on our team or lots of customers or vendors or whatever, like the, the impacts can be huge and life altering, and of course, uh, that, that is going to be a challenge if we can't get those emotions, you know, understand them and get them in check, so to speak. And also support them, right? So appreciate, and in your example, that your wife probably doesn't want to be wrong. So that's why if you pick it and she didn't like it, she could say, well, you picked it, right? There's just an element of releasing some of the stress uh, of being wrong in the decision or not pleasing everybody, right? There's so much that goes into us as humans. The nice thing is once we unpack who we are or appreciate who each other is, you actually are pretty much predictable. 
So I do think that, you know, you get to know someone well, which is why one of the main components that I work on with, with individual development is know your audiences, right? Because if you know the people you're engaging with, or even in your social life or your family, I have a young daughter that just went off to college. I would love to control her. Guess what? It's not happening. Yet I do have to give her some control because just letting them out there at 18 thinking, okay, you're an adult. You actually can go make all your decisions when they're not experienced enough to make some smart decisions, right? So there is an element that we have to also appreciate who is the individual, know what their strengths are, and then somehow support them through that process, which is one element, how their emotions get involved. The other is, you know, what kind of DNA are they? Are they people who like to please and, and always like to see the good in everything? Or are they a little more skeptical, but they're too skeptical and they always see the bad in everything? And, you know, once you start to pay attention to individuals, they kind of tell you who they are without giving you a paper that describes them. Just pay attention, observe, get to know people before you were ready to quick to judge. And I, and this does not label, which is you brought up a great point, John. These are not to label or to minimize anyone's capabilities. It's to actually make us better as human beings together. Because the more we actually understand why someone does something, the more you can appreciate that it's not to me. Because automatically people think when something's done, they don't like it was on purpose. Most times it's not always about you. So it's not on purpose, right? And I do think Tools like this and just remembering to know the people around, those are all the elements that can help us actually foster better relationships, both professionally as well as personally. Yeah, yeah. It's it's almost never because someone has malicious intent to hurt you. Uh, that does happen. There are evil people in the world. There are, are people who try to take advantage and exploit. Uh, but the vast majority of people just get up in the morning wanting to make it through the day and they want to do right by, you know, their family and by their colleagues and, and they want to do a good job at work. And, and, but we're all fallible humans. We all uh, have our own baggage. We all uh, make mistakes. And so of course we're going to end up uh, saying the wrong thing at times or doing the wrong thing or, or making a decision that people don't agree with. And, and so if I can have the, the patience and compassion for others that I hope that they would have for me, uh, then that can take care of a lot of the challenges that we face interpersonally when we're working on difficult issues with each other. I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, Bluer Than Indigo Leadership the journey of becoming a truly remarkable leader. Early in my adult life, I learned about an Asian proverb that translates as bluer than indigo. If you think about the color indigo, it is a brilliant, deep, and vibrant blue. What some would call the bluest of blues. To have something that is bluer than indigo is rare and truly remarkable. Contrary to popular myth, there is no one-size-fits-all or cookie-cutter approach to effective leadership. There's no silver bullet, no secret sauce, no go-to model that will solve all of our problems. The truth is, great leaders have all had their unique strengths and flaws, and have all had to discover and then pave their own distinctive path in their life's journey to fulfill their leadership potential. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership will help you discover your own path and explore those ordinary, everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations.
something else you said that uh, I thought is really important. It reminded me of, of uh, as a leader, the role that I play in uh, not only doing this within myself, I need to understand where I'm coming from so I can make better decisions, but I need to know my people so I understand where they're coming from so I can leverage the team to its capacity and so I can help them work effectively with each other. And if I can effectively model what we're talking about for my team and, and encourage and promote the same kind of an approach with them, uh, then that increases the chance that we can have a really high functioning, high, um, high output, high producing team, uh, because we're just running all cylinders. We're not getting caught up in the types of things that people often get caught up on. Yeah. I mean, I call that team chemistry, what you described and you can't make it happen. It's like, you can't force fun. Like, let's go have fun. Everybody go find a way to make fun. It's really having the patience to respect one another, listen to each other, understand where each other comes from, and then recognize that our differences actually can be areas for us to support each other instead of attack each other, right? So a lot of the work I do when it comes to teams is really to help them build the team chemistry that produces the effectiveness of teamwork. And teamwork isn't just because you all work together in the same company or you're all part of the same function, because those are the ones that are actually harder to actually build the team chemistry because there's so much pressure on actually getting that thing done that the how we do it is less looked at. And so head trash and understanding emotions is one element. Recognizing someone's behavioral tendencies is another. All those things add up into building the chemistry with one person. 10 people, it doesn't matter because you need to be able to engage with others, right? That's the goal. We're humans. We want to interact with other people. I've never met a successful one-person business, right? I mean, it's always built on a couple of things. Families have more than one person if they have the ability to have that kind of environment. And that means you have to kind of give up stuff. You have to learn how to sacrifice. You can't be so selfish. I mean, there's so much that goes into it. And I do think the root is where does your emotions kind of lie? Because they're the things that drive you. And if you have some emotions that actually are making you make bad choices, let's figure out what they are so we can actually tackle it before it tackles the situation for us. Yeah, great. And so now I'm excited to, to hear some examples because I know you do a lot of work with a lot of clients. You've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly uh, in within a corporate setting. Uh, what are some of those uh just really um, startling examples that you've seen as you've worked with organizations to try to help them with uh, the head trash well, issue. You know, let's take um, guilt for a second. Guilt, you know, you think of that as personal, but actually in a business, people have guilt by not wanting to have difficult conversations with folks, especially if it's related to performance, and especially if we know them, and especially if we like them. And so I have seen organizations scale where they make choices on who has what role, who stays in what positions when it's clearly not effective, person's not succeeding, the business is not succeeding, but they can't have the hard conversation to make it right, which is, this is not the right role for you, or you're not performing at your your best. So the ability to hold someone accountable, depending on what your role is in the org, gets impacted if guilt is one of those head trashes you have, because you'll come up with a thousand reasons why you can't have that conversation with Bob or Mary. One is that maybe you both started the business at the same time. Second could be they've been around forever. Third is they're so wonderful. Everyone likes them, right? But they're not able to be successful. So who's really hurt? 
the person you're actually thinking you're helping by not having the conversation is actually the person you're hurting. So that's a perfect example of where guilt can get in the way of good choice making around a business in a professional setting. It's when relationships last longer than they should. It's when you don't be honest with how you feel and you just go with emotions, right? It's not having the ability to have that harsh, sometimes difficult conversation with someone about what's happening. And usually we don't do it out of guilt. So that's, that's, you know, that's yeah. one. I, I, it, it made me think of an example I, I have um, in my past. This was quite a while ago, but I, I was in a supervisory role and there's a supervisory team. Um, and we had to make some decisions about um, some cutbacks uh, in terms of our human capital. So we're trying to figure out, uh, you know, look through our people, look at their performance reviews, understand who, you know, who are the high performers and, you know, who would make sense to be the ones to let go. Um, you know, that it would be justifiable. It'd be the right move for them, for the team. And honestly, like you said, for them, they, they're not performing well. Uh, let them find their let them find themselves in a position where they're better aligned, where they can have more success. Right. And so we're having these conversations and one of the other supervisors on the team uh, kept on coming back to this one individual. And this individual was actually uh, a pretty high performer. Like most of us agreed, like this person was a high performer. So what was the issue? Why did this one supervisor keep on coming back to this person over and over again? Uh, That person worked in his shift. So he, he supervised him directly. Uh, he said, yes, he's a high performer, but, and then he had like, we, we just, he, he's hard to work with. I can't get along with him. And he had all these kind of more personal things that were going on. And so we're like, okay, uh, you know, that that's important to understand. Uh, tell us about the conversations you've had with him. Tell us about the performance discussions and feedback that you've had with him. And, he, he hadn't had really any, um, with him at all. Uh, he, mm-hmm. he felt like it was all obvious. He felt like, uh, th- this, this, uh, other employee should, ha- should know, and that they kept on doing things on purpose to tick off the supervisor, um, you know, out of malice. And so we're, we're continuing along with this conversation and the, the deeper we get into it, the more I just realized this is one of those classic examples of a manager or supervisor completely unwilling to have a difficult conversation, completely unwilling to actually have, you know, give the feedback needed so someone can make a course correction. Um, the, the performance, the overall outcomes of this employee were high. His interpersonal skills were not great. Those are things that you can address uh, yeah. through feedback. Those are things that you um, can work on over time. And he was completely unaware of it. Um, Luckily for, for this employee uh, and for the supervisor, we were able to steer it in a different direction. We were able to help um, the, sup- the other supervisor recognize and understand where they were falling short on their role. And, and I think ultimately we got to a good outcome. But if, if, it had, if the decision had been left to, to the supervisor alone to make the decision, he would have fired this person. Uh, it would have been to the detriment of his team. Uh, it would have reinforced in his mind that he had done the right thing, um, in getting rid of this person that he thought was horrible. Uh, and, and ultimately it would have been a really bad decision. It would have been driven largely just like what you were just describing out of, out of guilt, out of, um, out of, uh, insecurities and other things that were going on with him. 
And so the, these types of things play out over and over and over again within organizations. Uh, I, I've seen it so many times. And unless we can see it for what it is and be willing to acknowledge it within ourselves and, and hold other people accountable when we see others doing it, uh, the, these types of poor decisions will happen over and over again. And I do think it's just being aware of it. Like for, you know, just to stay on the guild for a minute there, I see more often that people get promotions and that shouldn't, which pisses off everyone else because they could justify why they shouldn't get it. But no one wants to have that tough conversation why that person isn't getting it. And that causes attrition. So then you can really see how it impacts retention and ups the attrition level because if when people have to sit around and know that someone clearly didn't deserve that that promotion and they get it just because it's the wrong reasons, that tends to create a lot of challenges. And you have to be aware that, you know, sometimes people think, oh, I just didn't have to have the conversation. It wasn't such a big deal for the business. We got through it. But no, decisions like that add up to be very big challenges of growing pains, which is you know, handing people promotions when they shouldn't, not having the difficult conversations to even have the performance review with the person. The person doesn't even know they're not doing a good job. So, you know, it's all of that where unless you pay attention to those little pieces, do the do companies realize how it when it adds up, it's too big then. It feels like it's too much. And it comes right back down. You mentioned even insecurity. I mean, I have, from a personal growth, I watch people leave their jobs because they didn't think they were capable, but yet they were very capable, but they were so afraid and had that negative reaction about themselves where they had low confidence that they would jump around and leave jobs when they'd get promoted because in their mind, they were like, I can't do this. And so it's, it can be very difficult on an individual and a company when these emotions actually sink in and start making the decisions for you. Yeah. And that, that comes back to really culture, right? So the, the net sum of all of these individual little decisions, and they may seem innocuous, they may seem like they're not a big deal, but you start to add all of those together. And over time, that is in part what makes the culture in the organization, whether or not people feel psychologically safe, whether or not they feel engaged and empowered, whether or not they trust their leadership, all of these things come back to these little decisions made each and mm-hmm. every day. And so I, I don't say that to, to give people decision paralysis because they're worried about every last decision they have to make, but it's just a, a recognition that yes, the, even the small decisions you make do matter. And, mm-hmm. and so we can't just punt them. Uh, we can't just pretend uh, like, like they're not a big deal. And then mm-hmm. uh, think that we've sidestepped the issue because we failed to address it in the moment the issue will reemerge. It will come up. The question is, is it going to be, uh, you know, will it be a, a productive kind of a development or will people, uh, will you engender mistrust and uh, frustration and disengagement amongst your team? And of course, that's what we need to avoid. Well, yeah. Tish, it has been a real pleasure talking with you. The time has flown by. I need to let you get back to your busy day here in just a moment. But before we close, I wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about your work, your team, and then give us a final word on the topic for today. Sure. So definitely, you know, I'm I'm a person who likes to give, right? So definitely go to headtrash911.com. I do believe that 
it will give you some guidance and identify where you might want to think about your own personal growth. It will impact how you make decisions. My company's called Candor, so you can reach me at Tish at Candor-Consulting.com. I you know, am a small business, a boutique. You will reach me. I will get back to you. I respond to everyone. I don't have a filter at all. And as you think about the tip for the day, you know, for me, making decisions is about thinking about the other first. So if you're going to do something, think about what step two looks like. A lot of times we just navigate through the actual action. Think about what the second step is, because that may alter how you make your choice making and your decision, because that means you've actually thought about the consequences or the impact you're having on others. So if you're ready to make a decision, think about what happens after you've made it. Can you still live with that decision then? Wonderful. Excellent tip. Tish, it has been a pleasure. I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Tish can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe. That you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership. Ordinary, everyday actions that produce extraordinary results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Check out Human Capital Innovations magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine with the mission to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We publish issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Take a look at the latest issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us.